What's up, everyone? It's Drew and Luke from More Than The Name Podcast. We just wanted to take a quick second before our 13th episode to say thank you to everyone who's been listening in, uh, shooting us some texts, maybe commenting on tweets or Instagram. And as always, if you have anyone that you would like to have us uh, interview and share their story, please feel free to reach out to us. Definitely. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, you know, leave a review, five stars if you enjoy it. If not, you know, honesty is the best policy. So, uh, you know, tell us what you think. So appreciate it. Drew Patno and Luke Chase on here on More Than The Name podcast. And today we are joined with professional speaker, leadership trainer, and executive business coach, Jamie Beckler. Jamie, thank you for joining us today. Hey, Drew, Luke, appreciate you uh, having me on. Love the show. And uh, thanks so much for, for uh, asking me to be a guest. And Jamie, we're just going to get right to it. With COVID being a professional speaker, going in front of so many people, how has your job transitioned through this time? Well, I've not been going in front of a lot of people uh, during the COVID time. You know, uh, I, I mainly speak with sports teams, with athletes, with coaches, with athletic directors. And, and as, as you guys well know, being right in the middle of ath- athletics uh, for your business, uh, as am I, you know, my, uh, my business pretty much got shut down. I'm not speaking to a lot of people in terms of live, in terms of going in and, and, you know, going and, and being boots on the ground, but I, I did a lot of Zoom calls like everybody else. Uh, so I was still getting in front of a lot of people, but, but yeah, you know, I have yet to be on an airplane uh, since the shutdown and I was traveling a whole lot, you know, a lot of Southwest airline frequent flyer miles before that. And, and I haven't been on an airplane since. Uh, I've had, uh, I've had probably 15 or, or 20 different, uh, uh, different uh, uh, flights that I've, I've rebooked uh, since COVID that I was just that, well, I, I was trying to, I was trying to predict like predicting the stock market. I was trying to predict <laughs> when, when a certain area would open up or when a certain school might open up and I can go visit some clients or I can go visit people. And uh, I, I, I keep, I keep guessing wrong, which is probably why I don't, I don't do the stock market too much either. Cause I guess wrong <laughs> on that as well. <laughs> And, you know, your message a lot of the times is building championship teams, championship cultures with so much yeah. uncertainty mentally and, you know, physically, the different changes. What's been your message to those organizations to stay, you know, stay the course, stay positive and that it will get better? Yeah, well, that's that's essentially what it is. I mean, you hit upon it. Stay positive. Uh, you know, I, I can't promise. You know, I don't have the crystal ball. I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. I don't know what two months is going to look like. I don't know when we're going to have football. I don't know when we're going to have other sports. I don't know that stuff, but I do know that, you know, I, I love this quote and I'll, I'll circle back around. I love the quote by Charles Swindoll years and years ago. He's an author and a pastor. And he said, you know, life is 10% what happens to you, but 90% how you react to it. And I know a lot of people have said other things similar to that. But I, I do think that that's true. You know, obviously the COVID, obviously the things going on in our life seem so big right now. And, and they are. I mean, it's a stinking worldwide pandemic. So it is big. But how we react to it 
says more about us almost than anything else. You know, are, are we going to, are we going to be victims? Are we going to let it get us down? Are we going to be, you know, negative and, and have this sour look on our face all the time and, and be woe is me, you know, almost Eeyore from a Winnie the Pooh, you know, Oh, this guy's falling. It's terrible. You know, all this kind of stuff. And, and we have a choice every day if we're going to be positive or not. And, and, and so that's essentially what I'm telling clients, what I'm telling coaches and ADs and, and student athletes is that, listen, you don't know when your season is going to start again, but what you do know is that today you can have the best attitude. You can bring energy. You can be an energy giver. You can, you can, you know, contagious enthusiasm is contagious and you can help your teammates be better. And you know what? Uh, literally I was just thinking about this on my walk today and I, I've said something similar to a lot of athletes and a lot of coaches, but I, I, I really, it, it hit me today that, you know, good leaders out there are positive. Good leaders um, stay focused. Good leaders uh, know their purpose and, and strive for that. But great leaders help others be positive, help others stay focused, help others achieve their, their, their goals and mission. And I've said similar things in the past, but I really started thinking about, you know, so many of us try to stay positive, you know, well, under these circumstances, we're going to be positive. But not all of us helps other people be positive as well. So our teammates, you know, yeah, I'm staying focused. I don't know when my season is going to start, but I'm going to stay focused. Well, the best teammates are those that are also doing that, but also on the other hand, they're trying to get their, uh, their teammates to also stay focused and stay positive during this tough time. Definitely. Just kind of, you know, making sure, you know, hold each other accountable, pushing each other. And so can you just, we're going to rewind a little bit a few years back, you know, cause you didn't just, maybe you did wake up one day and you're like, this is what I'm going to do, but I'm assuming it was a career kind of buildup of, you know, experiences, life experiences, challenges that you faced. Uh, so you can talk a little about, you know, being a college athlete, experiences you may have learned there that you now transfer to your career. Yeah. I uh, appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I was a college basketball coach for about 20 years and, and I pretty much wanted to do one of two things. I wanted to play in the NBA or be a college basketball coach. And I'm like, well, if the, if the NBA thing doesn't work out, I'll be a college basketball coach. <laughs> well, pretty early on, my coaches told me that I was going to be a coach. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so, uh, I, I became a college basketball coach but, uh, you know, I always, I love basketball. I love sports. I, I love coaching, but I, I, I wanted to, I read this book in seventh grade by John Wooden, uh, entitled, they call me coach. And, and I wasn't, I would love to say I was this mature and, you know, Hey, I wanted to one day be this great coach that just led people and, you know, just got, you know, it was, and I was a legend, you know, that wasn't like what I was thinking. What I was thinking at the time was, man, this was kind of cool that this coach treated all of his players fairly and treated all of his players in a good manner, whether they were playing for him or not. And I was like, man, when my shot's not going in or when I'm making a turnover, I would love to play for coach Wooden because that's the kind of coach I want. Somebody that, that treats me good, even if I'm not playing so well, or even if I have 30 points. And so, you know, it wasn't like I wanted to be that coach. It was, I wanted to have that coach. But then as I mature and get older, you know, I'm like, you know, I could have somewhat of a same impact that some coaches had on me. And so I wanted to go into coaching. And, uh, and I was like, you know, I want to do something that makes a difference and coaching can make a difference. Uh, Billy Graham, great evangelist once said, a coach will impact more people in one year than most people will do in a lifetime. And so mm -hmm. I wanted to do that. So I get into coaching. I coach for about 20 years. Um, 
I then go to be an high, a high school athletic director at uh, a high school in Indiana with the fifth largest gym in America, seats 7,000. Uh, wow. Amazing tradition. Yeah, nobody has won more boys basketball state championships than this school has. And so uh, I did that. And then after a couple of years of doing that, um, I, I kind of jumped feet first into uh, leadership consulting and speaking and podcasting and writing books. I, I just jumped feet first into being my own boss and uh, uh, might be the worst boss I've ever had, but uh, I went into <laughs> to being uh, my own boss and uh, working for myself and uh, doing leadership consulting now the last four years. So, you know, when you're at Martin Methodist in Tennessee, all-time leader in wins and winning percentage, but, you know, when you win, everything's kind of great. Everyone's happy. But how did you keep the culture strong when times got tough, when you were down late in games, or maybe there was some conflict within the team? Yeah, that's a great question, Drew. And I wish that if you asked all of my players that were on those teams, my hope would be that they would say, yeah, coach was great all the time with that. But the truth was I wasn't. <laughs> you know, in, in fact, my very last uh, home game as a coach was probably the worst game I ever coached. Uh, you know, I mean, I coached games where I got blown out by 50, where our team just got destroyed. I, I got out coached. Um, but this game stands out in my mind, and it's like this sour taste in my mouth because I made a couple key errors, not coaching strategy necessarily, but just how I dealt with players, how I communicated with players. And this is after all these years of coaching. And this is after having a lot of success being nationally ranked at this point, And I'm still making some mistakes. So uh, I would love to say that, that I was always on point with my leadership and culture, but sometimes emotions would get in, involved. But I always tried as a coach, uh, you know, and, and I was probably more hard on myself than other people would be on me about that. But I always tried to stay cool, calm, and collected. I, I, you know, yes, I would get on the officials once in a while, but I had very few technical fouls in my career. I always tried to stay in the moment. I always tried to uh, not knee-jerk react about stuff. And so when you're trying to build that culture and you're trying to provide, provide your team leadership, I think that's important because when chaos is all around you, and that happens all the time in sports, uh, whether it's your doing or the doing of the other team or the doing of the officials. I know that never happens that officials can screw things up, but no matter <laughs> what it is, you've got to stay calm because your kids, your players are going to look to you for that. And, and it's amazing when I see coaches who will tell their kids, you know, Hey, you can't let the officials, you know, get you riled up. Hey, you can't do this. You can't do that. But then they're doing it. And mm -hmm. it's like, how, and especially like if you're getting on the officials or if you're getting all worked up over, you know, little, little Joey's turnover he just had and you can't let that go. Well, how can you expect your players to go on to the next play to let those things go as well and move on? And so you try to model what you're teaching. And I try to do that. But, man, I was very, very human. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you. You bring it up. Martin Methodist. That was a great experience. Uh, uh, did a lot of good things there. Um, and, uh, you know, now one of the things that, that in, in a, one way I'm proud of is the fact that I'm no longer the, the winningest coach there. I no longer have the best winning percentage. Uh, the guy that came after me spent the same amount of time as I did there. And, and he's better than me now, or as a coach, he, <laughs> he broke some of those milestones. And so that's awesome because what we were able to start there, somebody else was able to take and even make it better. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that first year he was the coach there, he was using all my players, all of our players, but man, he got great stuff out of them. He got the best out of them. Those players, when they would talk to me afterwards, were like, man, coach, he's really good. You know, that this guy is really good. He knows his stuff. And so that's, that's awesome. That made me feel good. And then he just continued to, to build upon that and, and get better. And so that's a legacy, you know, not like I created a legacy, but it was something where, I, w- I was proud of the fact that what we did wasn't just short term. It wasn't just we're going to cut corners to win games right now, but that we established something that then someone else could take and actually make it better and put their own touches on it. And so I think that's cool because so many times you see somebody like a coach leave and the program goes down the tubes because it was just about that coach or it was just about like some a few hacks, let's say. Like, you know, we all want life hacks. How do I, you know, 12 ways to do this instead of just being really good at something we want to hack. And so you see that in coaching or in leadership a lot. And, and I think it's good to just be good at what you do and, and uh, always be looking at legacy. And I heard, uh, this will be the last thing I'll say, and then you can move on to the next great question. <laughs> but I heard, uh, I heard a lady once say, uh, legacy is not what you leave when you die. Legacy is what you leave every time you walk out of a room. Um, and I would add every time that you interact with somebody, you know, what's that legacy that you left? What's that imprint that you left? And that's something that coaches can do. Leaders can do all the time. And I don't think enough of us do that all the time. And I wish I had done that more. You know, it it pains me when I see on Facebook or, or on social media, one of my athletes got married or is doing something great. And I wasn't invited to that wedding or I didn't know about that, you know, because, I've been invited to a lot of weddings and don't get me wrong. I don't want to go to any weddings. <laughs> I just want to be invited, <laughs> but, but you know, I've been in, I've been invited to a lot of weddings and I've been involved in a lot of my players lives, but it hurts when there's those few that you're not involved with anymore because you didn't leave a positive legacy on their life. And those hurt. Those are just like the wins and losses. You could be like 30 and one, and you're going to remember that one loss a lot more than those 30 wins a lot of times. Definitely. And maybe, you know, a, a current day example of what you were just talking about was what's going on with Texas Tech. Um, with, you know, Tubby Smith was there. They kind of took a program from, you know, ground up, almost built it up, built it up. He left. Chris Beard comes in. They go to the final four. Right. He took Tubby's players, you know, a couple of his own guys and continued that success and that foundation that they laid, um, you know, over over in Lubbock. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And that's and that's a great story, too, because Chris Beard, you know, uh, that group that he had in the final four, I mean, there was nobody in that group that was like, Oh, this is a kid that Kentucky wants like, or John Calipari, you know, is promising they're going to be the next first round draft pick. I mean, he was, he had a bunch of kids that, that were blue collar kids or, you know, uh, gritty kids. I mean, obviously they have some talent to play at that level, but, but they weren't the future NBA players that a lot of these other programs have. And, And so that's a great, you know, I, I love the Texas Tech example just because here's a coach and, and not only the players that he brought in, but the players reflect him. I mean, mm-hmm. he's pretty much coached at every level. You yeah. know, nobody, you know, 20 years ago thought Chris Beard was going to be this final four coach. I mean, when he's essentially being some nobody, you know, driving a van and, and <laughs> filling up water bottles himself, you know, and carrying the basketballs into some, you know, crummy gym that's probably too hot or too cold. <laughs> Definitely. And so when you made that transition to, you know, from coaching to the, you know, athletic administration, athletic director, talk a little bit about what you kind of inherited and uh, some experiences that you used uh, to kind of turn that ship around and kind of write it, you know, in terms of a business almost, you know, 
budgeting and stuff like that and kind of how you put them on the right path, uh, being the athletic director? Yeah. Great, great question. And, uh, yeah, we were, uh, when I took over that, that high school, they were really in debt. Um, they had a stack of bills on the athletic director's desk that I took over. There were no policies and procedures. Uh, coaches were spending whatever they wanted. You know, every year the basketball coach was getting essentially 15 new basketballs or 20 new basketballs. Um, you know, stuff like that. Kids were getting in trouble. None of this stuff I knew on my interview. Uh, ter- <laughs> terrible, terrible uh, research on my part. But, uh, but we were able to put some things into place. We were able to um, put some systems and processes in place. And when I left after two years, they had, you know, quite a, you know, quite a decent chunk of money and, and they're doing pretty well now. They're able to do a lot of things uh, that we weren't able to do when I, when I took over. But, you know, that was, some, uh, that was some growing pains there too, because when you're used to getting anything you want from the athletic director, that was tough having those conversations with some of those coaches. Uh, it was tough having those conversations with board members. Tough, you know, it was just tough conversations because here you're used to getting whatever you want or we're used to doing something a certain way. But they had lost, they had lost, I forget the exact number, but it was like $100,000 they had gone through in a matter of like eight years, nine years, where they had like $100,000 in their bank account and they just kept overspending. Um, there was no budget. So they just kept overspending because they had this big slush fund. And then eventually it was gone, which happened to correspond exactly with the year that I took over. Um, <laughs> did not know that either. But yeah, essentially there was, they had zeroed out their budget or zeroed out their bank account when I took over. So, hey, congratulations, Jamie. But, you know, it was, it was a fun time. You know, and that was a, a thing where you, you take over and, you know, you institute these policies and, and, you know, not every coach was on board with it, unfortunately, right. but I was able to talk with a, a number of the coach, every coach I, I worked with and talked with, but you know, the basketball coach, let's say, you know, he's a big deal at the school and you know, it's a basketball program. It's a basketball school, basketball town. So I take over and I take him out to lunch and we chat and it's like, Hey, what can I do to help you as an AD? What do you need to do your job the right way? How can I help you out? And so he tells me these kinds of things. And, and so you build up this relationship, you build up this trust with him that it's not all about Jamie, or it's not all about me coming in and instituting my ideas. It's this is what's best for everybody. And it'll actually help your program eventually, but this is what's best for everybody. But you build up that connection and that relationship because you know, you have to have a strong bond because there's going to be a time when you're going to have to have tough love or a tough conversation down the road. Um, and, and so, you know, we, we would have those conversations later on, but he knew going into those conversations that, you know, Jamie was a friend. Jamie was somebody that was looking out for him when I could, but I also had 20 other programs to look out for. And so, you know, those are kinds of things that you don't always think about, but you have to build those relationships. Just like with players, you build those relationships with players because when you bench them or, you know, when you have to yell at them or something, they don't take that personally. They know that, all right, well, coach isn't, you know, really that big of a jerk. Coach doesn't hate me. Coach is just, you know, they, they, they hear the words, they hear the message. But if you haven't built up that, that connection with them, then you, that strong bond, then you can't have that tough conversation later on. Definitely. So you talk about building relationships, building trust. You know, I'm sure that takes a, takes a role in what you're doing today. 
So you transitioned to, you know, speaking. How did you go about getting that first client to, you know, come into a program, come into a team? Maybe it was a friend, maybe it wasn't to just be like, hey, you, we have to trust this guy and what he says. He's going to help us, you know, bring us to the, bring us to the top. Let's talk about that kind of maybe difficult. Yeah, you, you grind, you grind, you grind, you grind. And then when you're not grinding, you beg, you beg, you beg. Um, you know, but yeah, you have to build the trust that um, all right, I can go in. Okay, I never, I never coached in the Big Ten. Well, if you're going to hire me or bring me in to work with your Big Ten team, that you have to trust that even though I didn't work in the Big Ten, I can still bring value to your athletes and your program. And so you establish relationships. You know, you have a, a strong platform, maybe on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, where you gain some trust that way that, hey, you got some ideas or some thoughts that we like. And, but but you just you just uh, you just keep working at it. You keep working at it. And, you know, let's say, you know, your school in the Big Ten doesn't want me or your team in the NBA doesn't want to talk to me or doesn't want to pay me to bring me in or whatever. I don't wash my hands of you and say, well, forget you. You're dumb. You don't know what you're missing. You know, no. Hey, how can I keep helping? How can I help you out in the future? Hey, do you have, is there anything, you know, while you got me in the call, is there anything I can do or we can talk about now that, that you guys are going through? But, you know, I had a lot of clients or a lot of people I talked to, a lot of teams I worked with, but one of my big breaks was working with the Raptors um, a couple years ago. And, and, and that was an amazing opportunity for me. And, and that's one of those things where coach Casey, Dwayne Casey was the coach at the time. Uh, you know, he and I had a number of phone conversations. We met in person, you know, we had a number of these conversations because he had to know that whoever he was bringing in to be a voice in his player's ear was going to be somebody that he trusted to say the right things. And so, uh, you know, he wanted to be sure of that. And so, uh, we were able to, you know, have a number of conversations and he felt comfortable with me with that. And so I was able to, uh, speak with their team, speak with their coaches a a couple of different times, uh, going into his last year there when in, in his coach of the year, year, the year that they were number one in the, in the Eastern conference before, before they won the national or the world championship. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about, you know, opportunities, another door closes, another door opens up for everyone, you know, going through the job search right now, they could get discouraged. You know, there's not a lot of jobs there's a high demand and you say grind, but what would your message be to them to, you know, keep going or have someone else believe in them and portray that to them? Yeah. Great question, Drew. And, and, you know, there's a couple things. One is, uh, there's a there's a couple things just in general, mainly for younger people that are, are trying to break into the the athletic business. You know, whether it's at high school, whether it's college, whether it's the pros. I mentioned grinding earlier, and that's really a lost art. We don't grind as much. You know, us working hard is well. I worked hard for a year and nobody paid attention. Or like when you have a kid and you're the coach, you know, and 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 the the player doesn't feel like they're getting enough playing time. They go to the coach, you know, and it's like, well, what do I need to do? We'll work harder or show up earlier or whatever. And so they do that for a week. And then they're mad that the coach didn't play them more after that week. Well, I did this for a week. Well, that, that wasn't enough to really build that trust. And so sometimes you have to grind and grind and grind. And then it appears like it's never going to, it's never going to come to fruition. And then you got to grind some more, but not only the hard work, but you got to be smart about things too. It, 
volunteer for as much stuff as possible. Um, you know, if you're the SID, the assistant SID, if you're working with a sport, if you're the, the lowest manager on a basketball team, man, you're volunteering. Hey coach, when you go recruiting, you want me to drive for you? I'll, I'll drive the car. Obviously if you have a license or you're a good driver, <laughs> um, not suspended license or anything, but <laughs> hey, coach, I know you don't want to drive because you got a lot of work to do. You got phone calls to make, or you got stuff to do on your, on your, on your, uh, you know, tablet. Uh, I'll drive for you or volunteer to do whatever, find ways to make yourself valuable to anybody. Um, and that could be the custodian, that could be a teacher, that could be the coach, that could be the AD. Don't just focus on the AD. Like if you're at a college, don't just focus on getting to be BFFs with your athletic director or best friends with, your head, with, with the head coach of, a, of the football, head coach. No, right. man, hit up those GAs. Hit up the assistant athletic director because one day they're going to be in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, get to know as many people as possible and then follow up with those people. But man, grind, get to know people, but volunteer for as much stuff as you can because it's going to do two things with the volunteering. One, it's going to show that you're willing to do this, this junk that nobody else wants to do. But number two, it's going to make you better down the road because you're going to be smarter about all this stuff. You're going to know how to wash stuff. You're going to know uh, what it's like to, to, to go recruiting on the road because you've been driving coach around. You've been a chauffeur or her chauffeur for the last two years. <laughs> you're going to know what it takes to run a concession stand or whatever, because you volunteered for it or whatever, find ways. And that's going to make you better later on. Um, you know, so those are just a couple things that come to mind right away that, that I think are lost arts because we all want everything to be handed to us on a silver platter sometimes. Um, and that's not the case. Um, mm-hmm. most of the time our, and, and you know, I'll, I will consult with people and help people prepare for interviews. And a lot of times, People have been doing a bad job where they're at, but then all of a sudden they want to turn it on and do a great job in this interview. And, you know, we try to help them as best as possible, but your best interview is doing a great job where you're at right now. That's your best interview Um, because you're going to have stories from this great job that you're doing and people are going to speak highly of you. And that's going to, that's going to speak louder than you, your resume could ever say, or any, you know, smooth answer you could have in an interview is, is what are you doing now? Are you doing an awesome job now? Are you having a great attitude when, when coach wants you to do something stupid, you know, you're a GA or you're a manager or you're a volunteer or whatever, or I don't like this role I'm in. Well, you know, suck it up buttercup, you know, life's not fair. You know, you're not going to always get what you want. But yeah. make the best of those things. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, Go you talk about grinding all the time and you grind at work and obviously speaking now, but how are you, you know, grinding with your family? You have a wife, you have a son. How do you make that balance and, you know, keep everyone happy? Yeah, that's, uh, that is one of my Achilles heels. Um, it's tough because, as a coach, you know, I was always, you know, the guy that's putting in as many hours as possible. And, and when you own your own business and, you know, you're starting from scratch, you're, you, no one else is doing it. And you don't have that paycheck coming every Friday. You know, if you're not getting something done, then it's not getting done. And so that's a difficult thing. And, and sometimes I do think it's out of balance, uh, you know, sometimes. But, but I'm not a huge fan of the work-life balance, like the balance part, uh, that, that phrase. I kind of like the work-life alignment. 
a little bit better or work-life integration. And I know it's, we're parsing words a little bit, but, but I don't think balance, I, I don't think you're always going to be balanced. If you're a basketball coach and, and, you know, Drew, you're at Providence. Mm-hmm. Well, the Providence basketball coach during November, December, January, and February, and hopefully late into March in normal years is not going to have balance mm-hmm. between his family and his basketball. If he has balance, he will be fired and he will eventually be coaching at another school mm-hmm. or selling insurance or real estate. <laughs> you can't have true balance during your season when you have, you know, 20 other guys you are responsible for as well. And that doesn't mean those people are more important than your family, but it does mean that there's priorities at different points and there's different stages. There's a different kind of a life cycle to a season, let's say, or seasons. My wife knew that during basketball, she was going to be a basketball widow, but then I was going to make it up to her afterwards. You know, for the other five or six months, you know what? I wasn't going to schedule stuff during vacations or, or, or during holidays, or let's say there's a big recruiting event during Memorial Day. Well, that's outside the season. It's still a big event, but you know what? We were going to take my son and my wife there and we were going to make it a vacation. Uh, we were going to, we were going to try to do something uh, around that. So yes, it was still going to be daddy's working, but it's going to be, how can we integrate and how can I make up a little bit for that lost time? So you try to do things like that whenever possible. Um, you know, and and you just, you got to bring flowers and chocolates sometimes, sometimes, (laughs) sometimes you got to pick up your socks, which is terrible. You know, the, the flowers, the flowers and the cards and the chocolates, that's the easy part. That's, and I, and I talk to coaches all the time. That's like just when your team is struggling or, you know, you say you got a bunch of idiots on your team and you're, you're struggling to execute your offense. Well, the answer is to just, your answer as a coach is just to put in a new play, you know, put in a new play or I'm going to put in a new starting lineup or something Mm -hmm. like that. That's the chocolates and the flowers and the cards. That's like the easy thing. But the underlying thing is you still got the same players executing. You still got the same issues there. The hard part is getting to know your players and actually motivating and inspiring them. And, and you know, I mean, me as a husband, the hard part for me is, is, you know, showing my wife that I love her, not telling her that. Telling her is easy to do. Bringing a card or flowers is easy to do. Picking up my socks when the game's on and I want to watch that, that football game on Sunday afternoon – or taking out the, the garbage when it's fourth quarter. And, you know, when I want to be watching this, you know, that's a hard part. That's when you really earn your stripes and, and really show your wife that you love her. And, and that's the same with coaching and, and leadership. It's easy to, 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 to demonstrate these trivial things, but that's not really leadership. And that's not really loving on your players or the, or your team members. So you talk a little about bringing your son along, you know, can you talk about, you know, your experience becoming a parent and kind of the whirlwind that was uh, within itself, you know, through the adoption period and just kind of how that you, I, I don't want to say balance because we just switched it, but alignment right, right, <laughs> um, right. through, you know, work. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have a child and just that experience uh, within itself that kind of whirlwind. Yeah. Yeah. As coaches, we like to be plan ahead. We like to have a good scouting report and that was terrible. It's November. <laughs> Our first game is coming up. I'm focused on this new season. And, you know, we've gone through this adoption process. Everything, you know, we've, we've gone, I forget, but it was like a year, a year and a half that we were in this program, the process, and we were finally ready to, to be eligible for somebody to select us. 
And so I'm thinking, you know, all right, we're, we're all set, but it's going to be a while, you know, no one's going to choose us right away. You know, what's the odds of that? You know, it'll probably be after the season, that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, we haven't even painted the kid's room, the baby room, you know, we don't have cribs. We don't have any of this stuff. We're not really ready. <laughs> we get this phone call. Hey, this, this, this mom just selected you guys. She wants to meet with you. And I'm like, Oh my word. All right. Well, when, well, tw- she's gonna, she's doing 12 days. And I'm like 12 days, like, as in like less than two weeks, literally. Right. <laughs> yep. So 12 days. And I'm like, okay. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm finding every excuse in the book to kind of put this off, you know, Hey, we're in the season, you know, this kind of stuff, you know, well, Hey, hey if somebody wanted us this quickly, then there's always going to be this opportunity. People are going to want us all the time, you know, so, so we can just pick and choose later on. But anyways, so we go meet with the mom and she's so excited. She's like, I just met with a doctor and they're going to move it up by a week. And I do the quick math. Now I know five out of four people are bad at math, but <laughs> but I did the math real quickly and that's five days away. It's now five days that I'm going to be a dad. And that's the night of our opening game. So I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Cause mom's the, my wife is the boss. So she's like, we're doing this. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. But it's, it's cool. But I mean, it it was awesome. It's cool because the baby's set to be delivered at nine o'clock. My game's not till six. We're good. Perfect. All right. Perfect time. So, I don't know your listener demographics, but if you have any mothers out there right now listening, they are absolutely rolling their eyes because (laughs) (laughs) they know probably the dads are doing this too, because they know just because it's a nine o'clock birth doesn't mean I'm getting out of there by six o'clock to go to some game. So (laughs) I'm thinking the whole time I'm, I'm still going to coach. Well, I didn't do that at all. My assistant coached every year on Jalen's birthday. I, uh, send a congratulations note to my assistant. Hey, you're one and oh as a college coach in your career. Congratulations. <laughs> so he won the game that night. Um, but yeah, Jalen's now 10 years old. Uh, this was down in Chattanooga when I was coaching down there in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we, uh, yeah, we adopted him, took him home from the hospital a few days later. It's been absolutely awesome. Um, and he, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a joy. Um, it's been a little rough the last few months homeschooling him during COVID because I am not a third grade teacher at all. And so uh, that's been a little bit rough. We've had a lot of recess, a lot of recess in gym class. That just means he's your favorite teacher. Yep. Uh, we, we did. We, I was, his, I was at least one of his favorite teachers and uh, we, we, I tried to teach him a lot of math uh, in particular probabilities. We, uh, we learned poker. Tried to teach him some <laughs> poker to learn them odds and probabilities, which are important math skills. Yep. That's funny. So, you know, growing up, you know, as a, you know, as a white male, you know, your son is black. Uh, can you talk about the current state, you know, how you, from a position of a father, kind of talk to your son, you know, I'm kind of spitball on here, but kind of have those conversations, those different conversations with your son when you haven't gone through the experiences that he may go through or seen on the television you know, with everything going on, right? Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a difficult situation. I have a lot of friends as well that, that have, that are part of blended families and uh, whether they've adopted um, or it's, or uh, you know, they've married into it. It's, I don't even know. uh, I don't know the word, but you know, uh, 
there's a lot of blended families that I know, and they're all going through this right now. And, and it's very important, just like if you were a coach of a team, uh, you've got to have conversations. You've got to, you have to have conversations, honest, frank conversations about what's going on. Um, but I would hope to, there's a, there's a couple things that I think sometimes doesn't get talked about enough and, and not just with race relations, but anything is perspective and perspective and wisdom. And oftentimes we're so quick to just be right, or we're just so quick to get our point across to be understood that we forget that we need to understand. Uh, Stephen Covey in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he said, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Um, and most of us, we, we go through life just wanting to be understood. We want people to see our point of view, uh, even when we're having a conversation. We're not listening with the intent to understand. We're listening with the intent to reply. Um, and so I think we need a lot of perspective. And so in today's day and age, even, I mean, it doesn't matter a year ago at this time, five years ago at this time, when you're having conversations with people, I think it's very important to, to have a perspective that I may not be right in everything that I say, or I might not know all the facts. I might not know every angle to this. So I want to learn and I want to have dialogue. I want to have conversation and we don't have that a lot. So when you're having these conversations, so if I'm having these conversations with Jalen or you're in a blended family, you're having these conversations, I think it's important not just, uh, and I'm going to be very simple here, but it's not just, it's not, it's not good enough, even if it's your opinion to say, this is good, this is bad, this is good, this is bad, this is good, this is bad. Not like, like evil bad, but uh, I don't agree with this person or I don't agree with this, so it's bad. There's a lot of nuance. And so I think it's important, like when I'm having a conversation with Jayla and yes, this is stuff that's not appropriate or this is stuff that we don't believe in or this is stuff that's not nice. But also, here's some other things to consider. Here's some other things to think about because a lot of things are nuanced and, and, you know, you try to, you know, how do these people feel or how does this feel or what would you do if you're in this situation? And so you're, you're trying to be wise about stuff, but you still want to have, this is right, this is wrong. These things are right. These things are wrong. These things are good. These things are bad. Um, but you have conversations to try to get your son to see different perspectives. Because if, if we don't see other people's points of view, we're never going to convert them. We're never going to get them to, you know, uh, my son love, I mean, a lot of people love Star Wars, you know, the, the, the light side or in the dark side, you know, well, you're never going to get somebody to come over from the dark side if all you're ever doing is vilifying them, screaming at them, cursing them out, calling them names, being mean spirited, even if they're mean people, even if they're people that are making bad choices, your, isn't your ultimate goal to help people be better and make the world better. And so what you want to understand is if you can understand other people, that starts the process of helping them get better. And that's a different way of looking at things. And so we try to help Jalen understand that there's some bad people or there's some people doing bad things, but why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? You know, what's going on here? And now how can you react to that? What would be, you know, I went back, going back to that quote I had earlier, life is 10%. What happens to you? 90% how you react to it. All right, this bad thing happened or these bad things are happening. You know, even in school, you're getting bullied. 
or this has happened. Well, what would happen if the roles were reversed? What would happen? You know, we, we live outside of a lake. Our, our, we have a lake across the street from us, a nice lake. We have ducks and geese, but we also have swans. There are three swans that the city puts in that lake and they, they or two of them that they put around, but one of them just all of a sudden appeared a few months ago. Well, those other two swans are constantly bullying the one new swan. It's crazy. I don't, I haven't Googled this. I don't know how swans act. <laughs> I don't know this. Not at all. But I know just as a human watching this, every day that Jalen and I walk around that lake and we see those two swans bullying the other swan, we talk about bullying and we talk about how, you know, what happens if somebody's not nice to us? What do we do? And we talk about the geese and the ducks and how they're together. Like they, they're different, but they're together, you know, hanging out essentially. And we talk about how, even though you look different or you're a different species, even, you know, like the ducks or whatever, uh, this is, this has become like a national geographic episode. I'm sorry, but you know, but that gives us an, an opportunity to have a conversation about when you're different than someone else, how just because you're different, look different, even act different, say different things, you can still find common ground. Uh, you can still find commonality and you don't have to, at the very baseline, you don't have to be mean to people. And so uh, I kind of went on a ramble there, uh, uh, a tangent a little bit with what your question was, but you, you got to have conversations, but also you have to be wise about them, but you also have to help people understand things and see different perspectives because if your goal is to eradicate the world of everybody that thinks different of you, then it's going to be a very lonely existence in a very bad world. Yeah. Now, some people would say, well, it's a bad world if some of those people are still in it. But some people have a lot of goodness to them. And some people just make poor choices. Mm -hmm. You know, if I, judge, if I judged every one of my players based upon if they had a turnover, they're a bad person or they're a bad basketball player, then we wouldn't have gotten very far. Um, you, you try to, you try to take what everybody has and, and make them better. Uh, try to find the good in people and, uh, you know, treat people nicely, treat people kindly, not because they are, but because you are show people respect, not because they're respectful, but because you're kind, nice and respectful yourself that you have character. So I, I know I went on a bit of a tangent there, Luke, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I actually get kind of passionate about this because it really frustrates me when people are so, I hate this person or this is an evil person because they believe this or they believe that, or, you know, I, I, I get frustrated about that. And I, and I don't want to teach my kid that. And I know my kid, Jalen, he'll play with, he plays with white kids. He plays with black kids. And what I found is they obviously recognize that there's a difference, but they still have fun playing together. They don't necessarily always think that someone else is bad just because of their skin color. They're different. But when we teach them that this person is bad or when we teach them that, oh, they do this or they do that, then I think we have a problem. Definitely. No, I'm kind of glad, you know, you know, I'm glad you went on that tangent because I think it's very applicable to any, any situation, really, you know, whether it's in the workplace, on a team, right? You got to find that common ground, right? It can't just be, like you said, you know, use a Star Wars example, right? It can't be, you know, the dark side and the light side, you know, you know, the unit in the universe with the Star Wars galaxy, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, it's definitely a tangible example for any situation that you can find yourself in, right? Teach people the way, you know, everything that you just said. I think that was awesome. I'm glad you went on that tangent per se. You know, so that was well, really history, history, history is littered with people 
that were evil, mean people, people that killed, you know, so many others. And, and yet they had some kind of conversion. Uh, you know, they, they found God or they just, you know, you know, someone was nice to them and, you know, it became rainbows and butterflies or something. I don't know, but there's, there's plenty of examples in history and even modern day where people change and people become something that they weren't and they do great things. And so I, that was the same way as a basketball coach, as a basketball coach, I look for potential in my players. You know, what can you do? All right. This person can't go left. Okay, well, then we'll make sure that our offense doesn't put them in a position where they have to dribble with their left hand very often. You know, or this person can't shoot the three. Okay, but they can do this really well. So I'm going to try to maximize their strengths, minimize their weaknesses, and help improve them as we go along. Um, and I think we can do the same thing with people. What's, a, what's something good? Well, this person has no redeeming quality. Well, that's probably not true. I mean, when we get down to it, that's probably not true. Um, they're not 100% evil or they're not 100% bad. So what can, we, what can we find that's good in them? In the same way, it's awfully hard for me if I sit here and tell my son, this lady on TV or this man on TV is evil and terrible. Well, they're at nat- my son, Jalen, is naturally going to think that. You know, the same way he's a big Michigan Wolverine fan. Sorry for all you <laughs> people that don't like Michigan Wolverines. Okay. <laughs> He's a big Michigan Wolverine fan because daddy's a big Michigan Wolverine fan. And that's why he is. That's why he was forced to dress as a Michigan Wolverine player for like the first six <laughs> Halloweens of his life. Okay. I brainwashed him. <laughs> but, and that's why he thinks Ohio State's a bunch of cheaters. Sorry, all the Ohio State Buckeyes out there. <laughs> but he doesn't know Ohio State cheats only because daddy told him that. No, I'm joking. But, no, not really. No, but no, but I, I joke about that. But the, the, right. the larger point is kids are going to know a lot of times what we tell them and yep. the way we act. They're going to watch us. They're going to listen to us. Now, we don't think they listen to us, but they're listening to the parts that they want to listen to. And if I curse out this person on TV or this person, you know, next door neighbor or this this kid on the team, you know, that's on my son's team, then all of a sudden my kid is going to have that same opinion. So we got to be very careful about that stuff. And we've got to be, uh, you know, we've got to stop dealing in so many absolutes and also start showing a little bit more kindness and a little bit more wisdom. And yeah, just being better people ourselves, that that's a good way to change the world around us. Yeah. I mean, uh, first off, thanks for going on that rant. I personally loved it. And I honestly hope if anyone that listens, listens to 10 or 15 minutes of our podcast, like ever. It's just that 10 minutes, but you know, we hear your preaching, we hear your ability to lead. You've written, <laughs> you know, five books. So talk about, you know, becoming an author and what that has meant. Yeah. Um, my English teacher never thought it was possible. She sent me a card. I remember uh, senior year uh, of high school, she gave us this postcard. This is way, way back in the day. Uh, some of your, some of your listeners, they used to have these, this, this thing called the post office and mail and, <laughs> and you actually had to pay money and put this little sticker thing on. No, but, but she gave us this postcard with this little 23 cent stamp already affixed to it. And she goes, one day I want you to send me this postcard and tell me what you're up to in life. And I raised my hand and I said, Mrs. Shannon, I will never send you a postcard. <laughs> and she goes, well, I wouldn't expect anything less from you, Jamie, because you fought me this whole time that I've been teaching you. Um, she, she and I didn't get along and it was only afterwards that I re- 
I, I started to admire her and started to respect what she was trying to do. Um, but she definitely prepared me for college. But anyways, fast forward a few years and I actually did send her that postcard and, uh, uh, I thanked her for everything. And then what, so when I wrote the book, she sent me a note and, uh, said not bad for a guy that was a terrible English student and <laughs> said that he hated his English teacher and would never send a postcard. So, um, that was, that was pretty cool from that aspect, but yeah, you know, being an author is kind of, it's a, it was kind of fun, um, you know, to write, uh, the stories, to, to write kind of your thoughts down on paper. Um, that's kind of cool. It's, it's cool that, um, you know, about seven people bought my book. I, I think my mom bought a couple copies, but you know, that, that's been fun to know that, that, you know, when, when you, when you see people on Twitter or Facebook, you know, do pictures of it or their team is using the books, you know, that is awesome because ultimately I, I want to help people out. You know, uh, you know, this, this life is, is, uh, you know, not to go real existential and deep on you again, and I'll, I'll be short with this, but you know, one day, you know, what do we have? You know, we're, we're just along for this journey trying to make things better and we can make things better for ourselves or make things better for others. Well, we might as well make things better for as many people as possible. And that could include yourself. But I mean, if, if I can write a book that helps a coach um, with his team and help influence somebody and you know, that's, that's awesome. And so that's what I try to do because I know that I can't get everywhere in the country and Southwest doesn't fly everywhere in the country. So, Hey, you can buy my book. You can read uh, some of the stuff I would have talked about and it's a lot cheaper and I don't have to spend, you know, five hours on connecting flights. So it works out best for everybody, um, you know, and so books have enabled us to do that. But it's, it's been pretty fun to, to write the book, to write the books and, and go through that process. And Jamie, where can listeners follow you on social media? Yeah, the best place is just uh, my Twitter at Coach Beckler. I'm also on Instagram, um, but I'll tell you right now, you'll be let down because I don't show pictures of spaghetti and meatballs that I ate last <laughs> night or my cat. So, uh, but that's also at coach Beckler. If you'd like to follow me on Instagram as well, but coach Beckler and it's uh, spelled uh, B E C H L E R like bachelor, but uh, that's the best way. And, and you can get linked to my podcast. You can get linked to uh, my books. You can get linked to the website all from there. So Twitter, Twitter, I'm a twit, unfortunately. So uh, that's, that's what I do mostly is Twitter. Awesome. Jamie, thank you very much for joining us today on More Than The Name podcast. We really appreciate it. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for your time. Yes, sir.